Welcome, dumbheads, to MDC, the Mega Dumbcast. In this final leg of Season 5, I'm reading my way through every single goddamn page in The Revenge of Kang, the final module in the Time Warp Adventure series for TSR's Marvel Super Heroes role-playing game. And as I do, I'm identifying the dumbest thing on each page. Every episode is one page, every episode is short. The Revenge of Kang was written by Ray Winninger and was published in 1990. Today we're discussing page 24 of The Revenge of Kang. Today concludes chapter 5, Up the Spire, which is the chapter in which our heroes enter and ascend a mysterious spire that they saw on the horizon. And if they have high reason scores and good luck, learn some interesting things about what this place might have been used for in the past, what all this machinery does, the state of repair that it's in, what's going on. I didn't go over any of that, because a lot of it is shit that, if you're playing some of these heroes, like the Misfits, you wouldn't learn at all. For those characters... This is a big, pointy stack of nothing, just taking up valuable wasteland. Last time, our heroes ascended through levels 1, 2, and 3. Oh, and before I forget, last time, I did have to make a concession to the story's structure and assume that all of our heroes found the vital clue about radio waves being beamed from somewhere out in the distance, because at some point, you have to find that clue to proceed, and I really didn't want to do any podcasting about us walking back across the desert to go back up to this empty spire and just make a thorough search of the place and finally got to do some triangulation, which is the only way that the author can come and then proceed with the adventure. So that's the one thing we found out. This place doesn't really generate power. It has a power supply, but the power supply converts radio waves to energy and the radio waves come from somewhere out that way, 140 degrees off the west horizon. So, with three levels of the spire out of the way, it's time to move up to level four. For most of our heroes, here's what they find. Quote, The fourth level is unlike any of its predecessors. It seems this level once housed machinery like each of the three previous levels, but all of the machines have been smashed to bits or removed. Currently scattered about the level are hundreds of assorted electronic circuits and a number of crudely constructed wooden benches and tables. Decorating the walls are a series of roughly rendered chalk drawings. The largest and most elaborate of the chalk drawings show a humanoid figure driving away a pack of scorpion-like insects by blowing a huge horn. Scrawled in large letters above the stairway is a sign that reads Prowess, Wisdom, and Courage. Sounds like maybe there's a Triforce about here somewhere, but that's way above our pay grade. We don't even have the boomerang. If only Fat Man were here, maybe he could save Hyrule. He does wear a green suit. Is he a Link? Maybe when Marvel owns Nintendo. Who knows? Anyway, as the player characters look around level 4, a group of 15 weird-looking alien creatures come up the stairs, and tell our heroes to surrender. They're pissed. They won't negotiate. They say, quote, You must come with us and serve tribunal. You have entered our sacred shrine and angered the spirits of the tower. In displeasure, they have doused their beacon, which sits atop the tower. So they're pissed. The beacon is out. We're to blame. And it says, quote, The Kokri, that's what they're called, the Kokri, will take the heroes by force if they must, using their psychic powers if necessary. It probably will be necessary, and it will almost certainly work. Let's talk for a moment about the Kokri, because, and only because, we have no choice. There are stats for the Kokri back on page 13. They have a fighting of good, an agility of good, a strength of good, and an endurance of incredible, which is quite out of proportion to their other physical abilities, but does give them a big fat sack of hit points so that they can be used as bludgeons against the players. They have a reason of typical, an intuition of excellent, and a psyche of amazing. For, you see, the Kokri are powerful psychics, they have one psychic power. Quote, Psyblast. Each Kokri can launch a psionic bolt with monstrous agility, which they do not have, but for the purposes of this power, it's monstrous agility. They have excellent aim with their brains. 
quote, psionic bolt with monstrous agility, which inflicts amazing health damage upon its target. The bolt is not stopped by body armor or force fields of any kind. Now, there's no indication here of what kind of damage the Cybolt does. Is this like a kinetic force thing that slams into you? Is this like a pure mental thing, like get out of my mind? Or maybe like a resist domination talent might be useful or a psi screen. Is this some kind of direct assault on the body, some kind of like biokinetic attack? Are they mentally microwaving you? Are they stopping your heart? What is happening here? There's no indication because then there might conceivably be some power somewhere that would defend against it. Whereas this, the unspecified Psyblast, there's no defense. They aim at you with monstrous ability, pretty much beyond the scope of player character abilities, unless you're playing a character way too high powered for this module. And when they hit you, which they will, then they do 50 damage. It cuts through anything. And at the moment, you're staring down 15 of them. I try to be a good sport when it comes to this sort of thing in gaming. And sincerely, I would be okay with the Krokri having this blatantly contrived power to ensure that we get to have a capture scene if I thought that my abductors were going to take me somewhere good. Normally, I'm willing to extend that trust to an author or to a GM, but not after the crows are, not after what happened there. You have to know that I've got them front of mind. We just did this in the last module, and they were called the Crowzar, and these are the Kokri. Crowzar, Kokri. And both times, I thought I was going to get a particular thing out of an adventure based on the cover, and then I blundered into it, and I got in the time machine, and it dropped me off in the wrong place, and the first thing I saw was a weird reptile looking at me, although in this case, at least it wasn't 20 stories tall. And then I wandered off and got embroiled in a thing totally unrelated to either the concept of the adventure or the Marvel Universe, and then I was set upon by weird alien monsters who have powers contrived to capture me. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be in the weird original character prelude to the adventure I want to play. I would like to play the adventure I'd like to play, please. I missed the whole Old West because of this shit. I was right there at Dodge City, and I barely did a goddamn thing there. Surrounded by cowboys. Surrounded by the Old West. Did we have one showdown? Did we have one saloon? Did we have one sheriff of any kind? No, because we were too busy with the fucking crows are. And now it's happening again. We just went through this NPC section. It's like, you're going to meet the Fantastic Four and the X-Men and Spider-Man and Iron Man and Daredevil. And here we are looking for them up in the top of this boring ass spire. And here comes uh, the author's latest batch of boring OC characters, his original contributions to the Marvel Universe, the fucking Kokri, to zap us with their brain bolts and take us somewhere that is not where we wanted to go. Things are going to happen from here on. Some of them will be good and some of them will be bad. There's going to be some fun and some good design, but that doesn't change the fact that having played the second module, I think the players, as soon as they see the Kokri, as soon as they see a crowd of 15 weird aliens come at them, even before the bullshit mind blasts, I think the mood is going to drop. I think the group is going to sigh. I think people are going to drop their character sheets. People who are engaged are going to disengage from the game because we've seen this shit happen before. I want to say, in retrospect, one thing I appreciate about all this in World War II is that it didn't do this. At the very beginning of the adventure, granted, we fought Cavalier, the infantry support bot, and we did fight an original creation in the overly strong commandos, the elite German blue apron meal kits, but they were a kind of Nazi, and Cavalier was a product of S.H.I.E.L.D., and we were fighting it for Nick Fury. Both of those things were pretty closely tied to what the adventure was about. Minor spoilers for anyone who has not yet guessed the disappointing truth. The Kokri have fuck all to do with what this adventure is about. Anyway, in the aftermath section, the page says, quote, Considering the powerful psionic powers of the Kokri, there's almost nothing the PCs can do to avoid capture. And then once we're captured, then we go back to their camp and they throw us in a hut. I knew it was going to be a hut or a hole. There are three things that can happen from here. One of them is we attempt to escape. 
before they can do anything with us. And then we go to chapter eight. So once we get to the hut, we try to break out. I think that's what happens to the secret Zoomers. I think they're going to go along. This is an overwhelming force, but they're going to try to escape before the Kokri can do whatever they're going to do to them. Conversely, Ford's Furies, who have definitely read this story before, are going to bide their time and maybe try to wait for an opportune moment to improve their situation rather than immediately throwing hands. Because once that cycle has started, it's going to be a bad day for wolf cubs. So they're going along willingly and they're not going to try to escape. And we'll see what the Kokri do with them in chapter six. There's one more option, which I do appreciate the author putting in, which is that, quote, if the PCs somehow avoided capture, their next logical move is to visit the main complex. Uh, This is the other building marked on the map of this dimension. You know you're on a fucking railroad when you get a map of the entire dimension and it has two buildings on it. It was actually hard to contrive for one of the teams to take this route through the adventure. One of the reasons we have these three teams to follow is so that I can hit all the chapters and all the different zigzagging ways to get through the adventure. It was hard to think of a way that any of these teams would avoid the Kokri. So ultimately, I kind of cheated. I I needed one of the teams to fly over to the Spire, the option that you have at the bay or the swamp. Like if the whole team can fly, you don't need to go through either one. You just fly right over. But I didn't have any teams where everybody could fly. And anyway, that's four pads to the Spire and I only have three teams. So I decided to have Dr. Jaw do astral projection flight over and scout first, then come back and then go over the bay. So the Misfits do both. They fly over and they sail over. I figure with Dr. Jaw scouting ahead and seeing like, okay, I get what's going on with this place. I can make some reason rolls, but I do need to open some secret compartments and turn some dials. So let me bring the whole team back here. She would have already scouted level four and seen that there's nothing interesting up there. And with her archaeology skill, she may even have interpreted the chalk drawings and stuff and thought, hmm, I bet this is where the unreasonable tribal aliens of this adventure practice their religion that probably involves killing us. So maybe let me bring the rest of the girls over here, carefully look around the first three levels, learn what we need to learn from the machines, and then get the hell out of here before any unfortunate tribal stereotypes show up to sacrifice us or try to eat us or whatever. And so I think they do. I think they come back. The Kokri are going to be in the vicinity, but they're not going to spring their trap on the Misfits in the same way because the Misfits are making a quick in and out and they're not going to level four. I think between that and the fact that like Glass Cannon can bring the light level down, so the Kokri can't see to aim, and she and Dr. Jaw will both be able to see in the dark and, and run for it maneuver. They've got a good area effect in Silver Siren's shout attack. They're ready to bail at a moment's notice, the whole team. They already know where everything is. All those things put together, I think that they're going to hear the Kokri coming, and the Misfits are going to be able to get out of there. And they're not going to go to the main complex either. They're going to hang around, and as soon as the Kokri clear out, they're going to go right back into the Spire and sort this Kokri nonsense right out. It's not an explicit option, listed here in the book, but there's no reason having left the spire, you can't walk right back in. You don't have to go to a whole other building first. So that's what's happening. But that's much later. Join me next time for perhaps the most important criminal proceeding in the history of the tiny shitty pocket dimension as Ford's Furies stand trial on MDC, the Mega Dumbcast. This has been MDC. New episodes drop every day except for Sundays, when all the previous week's episodes drop in one big megasode on the top-secret patrons-only RSS feed. If you'd like to get access to that feed and support the show, go to patreon.com slash megadumbcast. Contact me however you want. I am Megadumbcast on Twitter, Gmail, Podbean, your favorite podcatcher, etc., etc. This episode's music, used under Creative Commons license, is Take Us to the Nearest Starbase by Astrometrics whose work you can find at soundcloud.com slash astrometricsband.